Bibles, please, to Psalm 68. Psalm 68, the first ten verses have to do with God's method of dealing with the righteous and the wicked. God has a way of dealing with righteous and wicked. And in these first ten verses, you're going to find this lesson. And then uh, verses 11 through 15 is a, uh, 11 through 35, the rest of the chapter is a song of victory. So let's begin looking at the 68th Psalm, verse 1. Notice it says, Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, let them also that hate him flee before him. So God can be provoked to action against the wicked. Notice it says, Let God arise. The psalmist is praying. A prayer for uh, God to arise and do something about the enemies. Let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee from before him. You know, God is long-suffering with everyone. And sometimes people will not repent and turn to God. The Bible tells us that God is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But all will not come to repentance. Many people uh, sin against God's long-suffering and against God's grace and against God's love. The Bible tells us that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And it says further, Paul talking to Timothy and Titus, he says, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But all men will not be saved or come to the knowledge of the truth because of sin and rebellion. And you know it says here that he uh, let his enemies be scattered. God is able to scatter. He can scatter the enemies of his people. Remember when Gideon and his 300 blew their trumpets at the blast of the trumpet, all the Midianites were scattered all over the hills and valleys and Israel pursued after them sought them and caught up with them. Isaiah 33, let me read this for you. Isaiah 33 and verse <clears throat> verse 3. Isaiah 33 and verse 3, it says this, At the noise of the tumult the people fled. At the lifting up of thyself the nations were scattered. So God, all God has to do is just uh, exert a little of His power. And then all nations will scatter, and they will be scattered. In verse uh, 1 also, we find that he can destroy them as easily as smoke is driven by the wind. It says, let them also that hate him flee from before him. And verse 2 says, as smoke is driven away, so drive them away. Smoke, when you have the smoke come up and the fire, I mean, the fire outside and the smoke comes up from the fire, well, the wind just drives it away, doesn't it? If you ever been out at a campfire at night and it seemed like everywhere you sit, that's where the smoke's going to hit. You ever tried that? And you move on the other side and the wind changes and it gets you over there. I don't know why. But it seems like that that's the kind of the atmosphere around the campfire. I have a song I wrote called Campfire Gleaming. And by the way, it's copyrighted. It's about the old cowboy sitting out by a campfire. And uh, so I won't quote it to you. So anyway... Uh, the campfire, the smoke, the wind drives the smoke away, doesn't it? And you read in Hosea 13 in verse 3, let me read this one for you. In the book of Hosea, chapter 13 in verse 3, it says this, Therefore they shall be as the morning cloud, and as the early dew that is that passeth away, as the chaff that is driven with the whirlwind out of the floor, and as the smoke out of the chimney. So God drives the chaff away with the wind and he drives the smoke away out of the chimney. And so the wicked are compared to God driving them away. 
in verse 2 of our psalm, it says, As the smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. He's like a fire that melts the, the wax. Put the wax in the fire and it's melted right away, isn't it? And God's presence, he's, His presence is like a fire. And He can destroy them as easily as the smoke is driven by the wind. And the wicked are made to tremble at His presence. So let the wicked perish at the presence of God. We find in the book of Revelation, chapter 6, that they tremble at the presence of God. I want to read two verses for you in Revelation 6, verse... Uh, uh, <clears throat> well, let's read three verses. In verse 15 it says, And the kings of the earth and the great men <clears throat> and the rich men and the chief captains, here's all kinds of men, and mighty men and every bondman and every freeman, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. Now listen. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? You know, you find uh, a lot of macho type of men bragging about uh, there being no God, and especially atheistic minds and not afraid of God. There'll be a day that they'll be afraid to stand. It says, They cried, the rich men, the mighty men, the kings, and the chief captains, and all these cried for the rocks and the mountains uh, to uh, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us! They'd rather be destroyed by the elements than for to stand and face God. So the Bible says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So God is terrible in His presence. Even Moses was not permitted to see the presence of God face to face. God told Moses, he said, When I pass by, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock, and while my glory passes by, because he says, No man shall see my face and live. And at the terrible presence of God, no one is able to stand. It says, Who shall be able to stand? By the way, if we turn back to that passage in the seventh chapter, we find that there were some that were able to stand. In chapter 7, verse 9, it says, After this I beheld in lo a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb. And why could they? Clothed in white robes and palms in their hands. And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. The only persons that can stand in the presence of God are those that are clothed in the proper garments. And that means with the white robes. And we have uh, our washed our robes white in the blood of the Lamb, as did the, as will the uh, tribulation saints that are referred to in the book of Revelation. Look at verse 3 in our psalm. It says, But let the righteous be glad, let them rejoice before God, yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. So the righteous are to rejoice. God's presence brings joy to them. Does God's presence bring joy to your heart? And then in verse 4, Sing unto God, sing praises to His name, extol Him that rideth upon the heavens by His name Jah, J-A-H, notice you have capital letters, and rejoice before Him. What do you find here? The righteous are to express their joy in songs and with songs of praise. That's why we have songs in the services. We sing songs of praise. And we express joy in all these wonderful old hymns. 
and His name is to be praised. Notice it says, Sing praises to His name. Extol Him that rideth upon the heavens by His name, J-A-H, Jah. And that means, that's an abbreviation for Jehovah, or of Jehovah, of the Eternal One. He is to receive our praises. And by the way, the Bible refers to, to Jesus as the one who is God manifest in the flesh. And in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that uh, we every knee shall bow before him who is Lord. You read in Philippians chapter 2, and it says, Let this same mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. It says, He took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Then it says, Wherefore, because of his humiliation, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, now listen carefully, every knee should bow, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The same equivalent to that Jah or Jehovah, the Eternal One of the Old Testament. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That word in Philippians 2 expresses the deity of Christ. And uh, if your Jehovah's Witnesses had no, no other verse in the New Testament than that verse, it would convince them that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. Because that's what the indication of that word means. Uh, we look at verse uh, 5. It says, a, a father of the fatherless. Who is God? He's a father of the father, fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God has promised he'll take care of the fatherless in the Old Testament. He is the God that provides for the fatherless and the widows. Remember that he made a provision in the book of Deuteronomy that when the fields were plowed or the vineyards were harvested, that there would be a certain portion of them left for the widows and for the fatherless, for the orphans, for those that had not anything. Remember when Ruth came to Boaz and was gleaning in the field? She was doing that except for one reason, that which was in her right, except she was of the cursed race and it, and it could not come in. So a lot of things had to be overcome for her to take care of, to enjoy this privilege of gleaning in the field of Boaz. First of all, this curse had to be removed. And Boaz uh, was typical of Christ, and he gave her privileges in grace and uh, redeemed her from the curse of the law because an Ammonite or Moabite could not enter in the congregation of the Lord. But she was gleaning in the fields of what Israel and the fatherless and the widows should have been able to do had she not had this curse. But since she had it, she had more obstacles to overcome than the ordinary person. For an ordinary widow of Israel, and the only reason she was permitted to was because she was married uh, into, the, into the family, and then Boaz, by grace, redeemed her from the curse of the law and made it possible. But, oh, Boaz, he said, let fall for her, even though she was gleaning in the field, he said, let fall for her some handfuls on purpose. In other words, give her more than just the corners that are left. Let her have some extra that's grace, isn't it? Handfuls on purpose. And you and I have uh, not only what God has provided for us legally, but we have abundance more. Grace is abounding toward us. 
The Bible says that God is made, able to make all grace abound toward you. Abound. Can you imagine grace is one thing, but grace abounding is another thing. All grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. And he does that in the con- context of uh, giving liberally. It says when we give, we're to give cheerfully. God loveth the cheerful giver. And it says because of that, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. Have you ever heard people say, I don't have, I'm not able to do this or that? It says that we can abound to every what? Good work. The work that God has given you to do, you can do it. There's not any hindrance, there's not anything that can keep you from doing the work that God has called you to do if you're willing to do it. Oh, you know that sometimes there will be obstacles get in the way or the devil will try to fight it, but if you'll do what God wants you to do, the hindrances will be taken care of because God is going to make you able to abound in every good work. Uh, so he provides and he protects the fatherless and the widows. And then in verse 6, Notice what it says. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwelleth in a dry land, in the wilderness. Three things here. God reunites families. He liberates captives. And He leaves the rebellious in the wilderness. You know, you can have the blessings if you want them, and if you rebel against them, will He leave you in the dry land? It's up to you to make the decision. And then God leads His people. Look in verse 7. O God, when Thou wentest forth before Thy people, when Thou didst march through the wilderness, Selah. God went before them. You remember Israel? He went before them in the wilderness in the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God gave them a continual guiding light. He gave them the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire that you read of all throughout their wilderness journey to guide them by day and by night. No wonder. In one of the Psalms it says, The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. You ever heard of people being moonstruck? Well, the sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. So God has made provision for us around the clock with His guidance. And He's given us His Word and His Holy Spirit to guide us throughout this wilderness journey. And we need not lack guidance Israel had the guidance, and we have the guidance. O God, when Thou wentest before Thy people, God goes before us. If necessary, He can remove and go behind to protect us from the enemy. He did for Israel. Remember, He was going before them in the pillar of cloud and fire by day. And uh, here comes the Pharaoh and the Egyptian army behind. So the pillar of cloud that went before them removed and went behind them and separated from uh, separated Israel from the oncoming armies of the enemy. So God is not only going before us, but He'll go behind us. He surrounds us to protect us with His presence. It says in verse 8, The earth shook, the heavens also dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. Think of this. God not only leads His people, He leads you and I, but He All nature is moved at the Lord's presence. Remember Sinai shook? That great smoke and blackness and darkness. You read in Hebrews where the children of Israel have said of them uh, that they should not, they were not coming to the mount that could not be touched. Let me read it for you in Hebrews chapter 12. If I can find it. It says, uh, 
<clears throat> in verse 18, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, when God gave the law to Moses, and it says, uh, Which voice they that heard entreated the, that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. We're not come to Sinai that was on fire and smoking and, and separated Israel so much that they stood afar off, the Bible says. And that's what the law does. The law makes us stand afar off. But grace brings us near. But you're now made nigh by the blood of Christ, Ephesians chapter 2. But look, ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God. So you're not come to that kind of a mountain, but you're come to another kind of a mountain, to Mount Zion. So all nature is moved at the Lord's presence. I want you to see in verse uh, 9, Thou, O God, didst send a plentiful rain, whereby thou didst confirm thine inheritance when it was weary. God's goodness and God's blessings are manifested by Him sending rain from heaven. I wonder how many people realize that when God sends rain, He's blessing us upon this earth. In Acts chapter 14, verse 17, it says, Nevertheless, He left not Himself without witness, in that He did good and gave us rain from heaven, and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. It's a witness to all of mankind that when God sends the rain from heaven and gives us that rain and fruitful seasons and he fills our hearts with gladness that he has not left himself without a witness because you know we've had people that uh, pray for rain we have people that are rain makers we have people that desire for God to open up the windows of heaven and send the rain in the, in the wilderness land but only God can do that and he can do that as he wills as he pleases and when he sees fit to do that, it should be a witness that God is the one that can send the rain. How many times have you heard people say, well, this is the rainy season that's going to come, and sometimes the rainy season doesn't come. Or sometimes it's late, as far as man's reasoning is concerned. But God sends it when he wants to send it. And then I want you to notice back in our psalm again. Psalm 68, verse 11. Well, verse 10, it says, Thy congregation hath dwelt therein, thou, O God, hast prepared of thy goodness for the poor. God's goodness is to his congregation and to the poor. Look, the congregation and the poor both are mentioned here. Remember in the book of Ephesians, it says, Even as Christ also loved the church, that is the congregation. He loved the church and gave himself for it. We find that the Bible says that he healed the sick, he cleansed the leper, he, he uh, gave sight to the blind, and he says, And the poor have the gospel preached. The poor. Look at this verse again. Thy congregation hath dwelt therein. Thou, O God, hast prepared of thy goodness for the poor. The gospel for the poor. The gospel is for all the world, but the poor are more, are more likely to receive it than, than the rich. Jesus said that it's harder for a rich man to enter heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I've heard... Uh, some of our modernistic preachers say there was a certain place that was a needle's eye where the camel had to kneel down and crawl through, go through, and uh, that that's what he was talking about. I don't think so, because he says, that which is impossible for men is possible with God. 
I think he's talking about something that, that man could not do under any circumstances, that God only could save. But you know we have a way of explaining away the miraculous in God's Word. He does exactly what he says he'll do. And if it seems to us unreasonable, and the men say, well, you know, you can get the camel down on his knees and you can lead him through this needle's eye, and he makes it through all right. And so Jesus just meant it was hard for him to get in there. But he says, that which is impossible with me is possible with God. You know, you've got all kinds of commentaries to study, and you've got as many different kinds of commentaries that comment on the Bible as you have as many different preachers that preach in different directions about the Bible. And when you have that, you're going to have all kinds of of opinions and ideas thrust forth. And some of them uh, are not really according to the Word of God. They do not follow the Word of God. And some of them try to explain away the miraculous. And I heard one of my professors one time, Dr. Peter Conley, used to say, remember, young men, you young preachers, that a, that a commentator is just like it says. He's a commentator. <clears throat> anyway, that'll sink in a little bit. <clears throat> verse, uh, look at verse uh, 11 again. It says, the Lord gave the word. Look at the, the 11th verse. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company. The word company here in the marginal reference says army. There's an army of preachers. His great army of preachers published the word of God. And he gave the word. And the company that, that publishes it are, are his preachers or his people. Remember Acts 8, 4, that those were persecuted under uh, Saul of Tarsus. They were scattered abroad everywhere preaching the word. And the Bible says, And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? Look at verse 12. Kings of armies did flee apace, and she that tarried at home divided the spoil. Kings of armies. Whole armies are made to retreat before God's mighty power. Numbers 31 verse 8 says, They slew the kings of, the, of Midian. In Acts 12, you read verses 19 through 24, and you'll find that Herod sought for Peter. And when Peter could not be found, he executed the keepers and the guards. Kings of armies did flee apace, and she tarried, and she that tarried at home divided the spoil. God's people uh, that were the home guards were rewarded. Anything you do in the service of God is rewarded. The Bible says, One planteth another watereth, but God giveth the increase. In David's day, those that tarried at home divided the spoil. They shared in the spoil. Look back in the book of 1 Samuel. I think this lesson is worth uh, looking at. You'll find the Amalekites where uh, David was in battle with Amalekites. Let's look at chapter 30, 1 Samuel chapter 30. I'll just read at random. In verse 17 it says, David smote them from the twilight even to the evening of the next day. Verse 18 says, David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. Verse 19, there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. And he started out with 400 men, and 200 became weary, and they had to stay there at camp by the stuff. And David took all the flocks of the herds which they drave, listen, before those other cattle, and said, This is David's spoil. And David came to the 200 men, which were so faint that they could not follow David. Now look, he came to the 200 men that were so faint, 
whom they had made also to abide at the brook Bezar, and they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men and the men of Belial, of those that went with David, and said, Because they went not with us, you know, these didn't go out to battle, because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his uh, wife and his children, that they may leave lead them away and depart. Just give them their wives and children and let them go on their way. They don't deserve anything. Now, it says, Then said David, You shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. You get that? The man that goes out to the battle, his part shall be the same as him that his that tarrieth by the stuff. He stayed there and stood by the stuff. I like to compare that to a church, a local church. We send missionaries all over the world. But you know, if it were not for this local church standing by the stuff, those that go out to the battlefields wherever they go would not have the support and the prayers and the means to do the work that they do. And David says they shall share alike, they shall part alike. And so it was, and it was so from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. You can be faithful and stand by the stuff. Some of our older people, some of those that have been in the church for years, they've stayed by the stuff. They've stuck through it through thick and thin. And their part in the victories that all of us enjoy is just as great as the part of... of Anyone else? They've stayed by the stuff. Some of them are at home or bedfast and cannot come to church, but they've stayed by the stuff. It's your business and mine to be faithful, isn't it? And David said they shall part alike. Look, look back in our psalm. It says exactly that. In verse uh, 12, Kings of armies did flee apace, but she that tarried at home divided the spoil. Though ye have lying among the pots, ye shall be as the wings of a dove covered with silver, and her feathers with yellow gold. There's been all kinds of comments made on this, and it's a very difficult verse. Though ye have lying among the pots, ye shall be as the wings of a dove covered with silver, and her feathers with yellow gold. The best sense that I can find is that, uh, you know, it seems to be that from the very lowest condition, God will lift us up with joy and to make us have the happiness and the blessings that, that we will enjoy by His grace. Verse 14, When the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow in Salmon. We find that the Almighty can scatter kings as easily as the snow upon the mountains, upon Mount Salmon. And then in verse uh, 15, The hill of God is as the hill of Bashan, as high as the hill of Bashan. God's kingdom is high and lofty. We read in Hebrews chapter 12, But you are coming to Mount Zion. It's a high and lofty kingdom. Verse 16, Why leap ye, ye high hills? This is the hill which God desires to dwell in. Yea, the Lord will dwell in it forever. God's permanent dwelling place. The Lord will dwell in it forever. There's security in dwelling where God's given us a permanent dwelling place. Remember the Bible tells us that there are things that can be shaken, but he says that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And he says, Wherefore, we having a kingdom that cannot be moved, let us have grace to serve God. 
And so we find that the kingdom of God is high and lofty and it's permanent and it's a dwelling place for all of His people. Look in verse 17. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands uh, of angels. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. God's heavenly host. Remember Elisha, he told the servant, he says, there's with us an army round about. And all the Syrian army was round about uh, Elisha and his servant. And God said to his servant, I mean, Elisha said to his servant, God opened, he prayed, he says, Lord, open this young man's eyes that he may see. He opened his eyes and there was a, a whole host of army and chariots of fire round about Elisha. You and I may not be mindful of the presence of God around us, or the multitude of His heavenly angels protecting us. It says the Lord is among them as in Sinai. Have you ever felt that there's just a divine presence taking care of you when you couldn't take care of yourself? It happens to us uh, sometimes on a very, uh, well, what should I say, daily basis, or quite often in life. You'll be driving down the road and all of a sudden you'll make a mistake. And God just takes care of you and saves you from a terrible automobile accident. And you look around and you say, Lord, thank you. Because you know that something in God's divine providence just took care of you or you could have been cut off in a moment's time. I've gone through those things many times and I'm sure many of you have. So God has His protection around you. It says in verse 18, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts from men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. And we know that the ascension of Christ where the multitude of captives is referred to. You can find it in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8-11. through 11. Look at verse 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. God daily loads us with benefits. We need new and fresh benefits every day. We need His mercies renewed day by day. We can't live on the blessings and the mercies and the things of yesterday. We have to have them fresh every day. The children of Israel could not eat the manna that they, of yesterday. They had to gather it fresh every morning. They couldn't eat that old manna because God said it would breed worms. And you know, God told him, he says, you go out and gather every day, but he says, on, uh, and you gather twice as much the day before the Sabbath, but on the Sabbath day, don't go out there to, dwell, uh, to, to gather any manna. And you know God's people, don't you? When He told them to do that, some of them tried to... He says, you eat all that you have today and don't try to keep any of it till morning. Well, they kept it till the next day. They were going to store it up and it bred worms and stank. And then the Bible says that He told them not to go out... Uh, he told them to gather twice as much before the Sabbath and they could keep it and it'd be alright. So they, they found out that that would work. But then He says, don't go out on the Sabbath day because you won't find any. Nevertheless, some of them went out to try to find it. You see, we do just about opposite of what God tells us to do. So it says, He daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. He's the God of our salvation completely and totally. He's the God of our salvation as far as our soul and spirit is concerned. He's the one that saves us out of our problems and trials and delivers us from every evil. He saves us day by day as well as He's promised the complete and total. Now is our salvation nearer than when, when we believed and He's promised that the salvation of our whole being is still in His power. In verse 20, He that is our God is the God of salvation. 
Wouldn't it be something to say he's the God of salvation and not be able to say he that is our God is the God of salvation? He that is our God, verse 20, is the God of our of salvation. And unto God the Lord belong the issues from death. And he's a God of judgment too. Verse 21, but God, sh- but God shall wound the head of his enemies and the hairy scalp of such as one such a one as goeth on still in his trespasses. He's able to judge those who refuse his mercy, and he will judge those who refuse his mercy. Look in verse 23, uh, verse uh, 22, rather. The Lord said, I will bring again from Bashan, I will bring my people again from the depths of the sea. And it says in verse 23, that thy foot may be dipped in the blood of thine enemies and the, the tongue of thy dogs in the same. We find God will avenge his own elect in due time. Verse 24. They have seen thy goings, O God, even the goings of my God, my King, in the sanctuary. God's presence in the sanctuary. We find that, uh, that God's presence with his people and the progress of God's people is evident to all. It says, they have seen thy goings, O God. Who? The enemies of God have seen God's goings. Even the goings of my God, my King, in the sanctuary. So it's a witness and a testimony to those that are without. And then we find in verse 25, The singers went before, the players on instruments followed after, among them were the damsel playing with timbrels. We find public praise was rendered by the singers and the musicians, and that there was joy and rejoicing. Verse 26, Bless ye God in the congregations, even the Lord from the fountain of Israel. God is to be praised, and His praise is to be given in the church. Notice, it says, Bless ye God in the congregations. God has more than one congregation. He has many local congregations. Even the Lord from the fountain of Israel. And both small and great are to praise God. Look at verse uh, 27. There is little Benjamin with their ruler. The princes of Judah and their council. The princes of Zebulun. And the princes of Naphtali, you see the little ones, both small and great. Judah is considered great, but little Benjamin. Benjamin was a baby, wasn't he? And so you have little and great. You have small and great. Or to praise the Lord together. In verse 28, notice. Thy God hath commanded thy strength. Where do we get our strength? Strengthen, O God, that which thou hast wrought for us. The source of our strength is the Lord. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. And then Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. We rely on our own strength. We don't have any. Remember old uh, Peter? He said, Lord, I'm able to do this. I'll go with you to prison and death. His boasting of self-confidence. He found out he couldn't do anything. So we learn the lesson as we go along that all of our strength, physical, spiritual, mental, in all of the aspects of our the effects of the fall upon us. By the way, you know the fall of man and the sin that has come upon mankind has affected every aspect of our being. Our mentality, our physical, and our, our uh, spiritual. It, it is, it's done us in, so to speak, if you want to pardon the term. And yet, our only strength that we receive is from God. Look at that verse again. Thy God hath commanded thy strength. Strengthen, O God, that which thou hast wrought for us. And then, verse 29. Because of thy temple at Jerusalem shall kings bring presents unto thee. 
this is a prophecy of universal submission to God. Remember it says all nations shall bring their uh, gifts to the house of the Lord, the mountain of the Lord's house. Verse 30 says, Rebuke, rebuke the company of spearmen and the multitude of the bulls with the calves of the people till everyone submit himself with pieces of silver. Scatter thou the people that delight in war. So divine rebuke will be necessary to bring some people into submission. Remember in the book of Revelation, you study many times where God would bring great judgments and yet the people would not turn. They would still worship their idols in spite of all the terrible things that are happening. But sometimes God's rebuke and God's judgments will bring people to submission. And sometimes it's necessary to bring them to submission. Look at verse 31. It says, Princes shall come out of Egypt. Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hands unto God. So they will finally turn to God. Verse 32. Sing unto God, O ye kingdoms of the earth. O sing praises unto the Lord, Selah. We have again, again a thought that universal praise will be wrought in some day in the millennium. Sing unto God, O ye kingdoms of the earth. O sing praises unto the Lord. When you think of the fact that the whole earth and this whole world is made up of so many kingdoms and that most of them are atheistic and ungodly. And yet it says here, ye kingdoms of the earth. We know that this will not happen until the millennium, will it? Sing unto God, ye kingdoms of the earth. In verse 33, To him that rideth upon the heaven of heavens, which were of old, lo, he does send out his voice, and that a mighty voice. Praise him because of his mighty voice. And he speaks. He speaks and the people stand afar off. Remember we referred to Hebrews 12 and Sinai and, and back in the, one of the verses we read. Uh, I think it was verse verse 8. The earth shook, the heavens dropped at the presence of God, even Sinai itself. So his voice and his presence sometimes strikes terror into the hearts of men. In verse 34, ascribe ye strength unto God. In other words, recognize that God is the one that has the strength. Ascribe ye strength unto God. His excellency is over Israel, and his strength is in the clouds. Do you know his strength is in the clouds? The Bible says that God has his way in the whirlwind and the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. That his strength is in the clouds. His strength is all over this great universe. In the last verse, it says, O God, thou art a terrible, art terrible out of thy holy places. Thou art terrible, the terrible presence of God. The God of Israel is he that giveth strength and power unto his people. Blessed be God, the terrible God. And Paul, remember, we must remember the terror of the Lord. And Paul says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. If You know, there's some uh, macho men among us and in our nation and in our world that lift up their voice against God and almost dare Him to do anything. And they think God is weak and God is not powerful and they don't see the terror of God. But the Bible says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So when we think of God, we think of Him as almighty, as all-powerful, as a God that can bless His people and a God that can judge the wicked. So we need to not look upon Him as uh, some people say, the man upstairs or like a, a, little, a man that's just a little bigger than we are. He's more than that. He's the almighty. 
He made the heavens and the earth and this 